Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. They say that repetition is one of the laws of learning. So in this season, in this session, I should say, or series, I have worn that little adage out. I've begun every message with a bit of a repetition. Now, my reasoning for doing that is I want to put everything in perspective because uh, that's critical in this particular series. I started by saying God blesses his children. God encourages his children. God disciplines his children. And sometimes he gets angry with them. Though he does not discipline them out of anger, he disciplines them out of love. But the real point of this series has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. And so I've spent the bulk of the time so far talking about that, and we'll talk about that to the end of this series, which isn't far off. What I've said about the judgment seat of Christ is simply this. The Bible teaches that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and the reason for that is so we will be given rewards. And now I've talked about the fact that the New Testament talks about rewards, and it's uh, done so, it does so in many different ways. For example, it'll just use the word reward. And sometimes it talks about the word rewards, and it doesn't use the word. Then it uses the word crowns. Now, there are other ways to talk about rewards. One of them is the one I want to discuss today. It's the word overcomer. It's used at the end of each letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. So, will you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And while you're turning, let me mention a couple of things about this problem. The great question is, who is an overcomer? In 1 John, and I don't want to take the time to look at the passage in detail, it talks about the fact that all believers have overcome the world. That's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. So based on that passage, many come to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and say that the overcomers here are all believers. On the other hand, there are those who say, no, if you look at it carefully, the overcomers in the book of Revelation are faithful believers. And if you will recall, my point repeatedly has been that God rewards faithful believers. So the other way to look at the overcomer in Revelation is that they are faithful believers who are promised a reward. Now, which of those two views is correct? Well, I am of the opinion that Revelation is talking about faithful believers and their reward. 
You say, but what about that verse in 1 John that says all believers are overcomers? Well, it's true that 1 John 5, 4 says all believers are overcomers. It says they have or they has overcome. But verse 5 then talks about overcoming in the present tense. So even in that passage, while it's true that all believers have overcome the world in one sense, yet they can still overcome other things during their spiritual life. So here's what 1 John is teaching. It's teaching that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you trust Christ, you have overcome the world which does not believe in Christ. But beyond that, there are obstacles to overcome. And you need to overcome those obstacles in your spiritual life. I think that's the case in the book of Revelation. But I'm not just depending on 1 John. There are a number of indications in the book of Revelation itself that these are faithful believers. For example, the whole point of the book of Revelation is that they were experiencing persecution severe persecution, somewhere around 95 A.D. And so the point is that the writer John is telling those persecuted Christians that if they will just be faithful to the end, they will be rewarded. So the idea that an overcomer is a faithful believer who will be rewarded fits perfectly with the whole book of Revelation as a whole. Furthermore, the book of Revelation is about Jesus being a judge. That's obvious from chapter 1. In chapters 2 and 3, he judges the church. In chapters 4 to 18, he judges the world. So as a judge of the church, he's judging believers according to their works, according to Revelation 22. And the idea is his reward comes to those who have been faithful to serve him. And then, of course, there is the immediate context of each of these churches where the conclusion is, if you are a faithful believer, you will be rewarded. For example, the first one is at the end of the letter to Ephesus. Look at verse 7. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. Not to them, but to him. So he says he's addressing the churches, including everybody, but then he focuses on individual believers. So the very statement itself indicates we're not talking about all believers, we're talking about those individual believers who overcome. So, the sum of what I've said thus far is simply this. Overcomers, that is, faithful believers, will be rewarded. Did you get that? I'm going to say it one more time. Repetition is one of the laws of learning. Overcomers will be rewarded. Got it? Now, the reason I'm pausing here and saying that repeatedly, is because I'm about to go through all seven of these, and we're going to cover a lot of ground, but the point I want to make is summed up in one sentence, and that one sentence is, 
Overcomers are rewarded. If you got that, I hate to tell you, but you have basically what I'm trying to say this morning. But that doesn't mean you don't have to listen to the rest of what I have to say, all right? Now, one more observation. The word overcomer itself literally means to conquer or to prevail. So we're talking about someone who has conquered, who has prevailed, who has been victorious over something. So with that in mind, let's look at the seven occurrences of the word overcome in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. I just read verse 7. Look at it again. It says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right. What is it you have to overcome? Well, I think for that you've got to look at the letter itself. And in this case, it's the people who left their first love. So he seems to be saying to, those, to that church which left, it's not lost, left its first love, if you overcome that, then you're going to get to eat of the tree of life. Well, now, wait a minute. What is eating of the tree of life? Doesn't all believers get to eat of the tree of life? Not necessarily. Let me explain. The little expression tree of life is used in the Bible two different ways. In Genesis, back in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, if you ate of the tree of life, you would live forever. That was a literal tree with a literal promise. In the book of Proverbs, however, it's used very figuratively. It says, for example, wisdom is a tree of life. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Fulfilled hope is a tree of life. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So the tree of life in the book of Proverbs speaks of a higher level of living in this life. So tree of life is not necessarily for all believers. As a matter of fact, in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his works. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gate of the city. Ah, the subject of these verses in Revelation 22 is being rewarded based on your works. And verse 14 specifically says, those who do his commandments have the right to the tree of life. So not all believers keep the commandments. It's those faithful believers who are rewarded, and the reward is you get to eat of the tree of life. Let me repeat that. The overcomer overcomes leaving their love for the Lord. They're faithful. And as a result, they get to eat of the tree of life. So the question now is, what is the tree of life? 
and that's a bit of a problem. However, one commentator says, a regular Jewish concept was that the Messiah would come, and uh, he, when he came, those who had been faithful would eat of the tree of life. That was a Jewish concept. He adds that the tree of life means to have all the joy and the faithful, uh, the faithful conquerors will have when Christ reigns supreme. Another commentator says that eating is a symbol of fellowship. So the tree of life in the book of Revelation chapter 22 only yielded its fruit monthly. So perhaps the idea here is there's going to be a special banquet. And those who've been faithful get to go to that banquet when not everybody does. That would be an interesting concept. This much I know, that overcomers get to eat the tree of life, meaning faithful believers are rewarded. By the way, I think it's real interesting, this talks about leaving your first love. Did you ever leave your first love? Did you ever lose it? Uh, that's what we normally think about. You, um, you know how much you fell in love with the Lord when you first got saved? And then you cooled? Did you ever see that happen? As a pastor, I see it all the time. Uh, I remember once... Uh, reading about a pastor who illustrated this back in the days when they had fireplaces to heat the house, and he was visiting a fellow who had cooled. And he went over to the fireplace, and he took one little coal, and he shoved it out of the fireplace, and it just sat there by itself, and soon it went out. And his point was, you know, when you're with the rest of the coals, you burn, and when you get isolated, you're all by yourself, you sort of cool. And that's a great picture of some just sort of lose their first love. Only the problem is Ephesians, uh, the church at Ephesus is told, you didn't lose it, you left it. So if you left it, you can come back to it. At any rate, if you don't leave it, you are rewarded. That takes us to the second church, which is the church at Smyrna in verse 11. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, what is the problem in that church? Well, if you look at the passage, and we don't have time to do that, you will see that they were facing persecution and suffering. So the point is that those who overcome that, they withstand the persecution, they stand up to it and go through the suffering, they're overcomers, and they're going to be rewarded. And the reward is they're not going to be hurt by the second death. Say, hey, wait a minute, aren't, aren't all believers going to escape the second death? No? Yeah. Well, then isn't this true of all believers? Well, no. Well, then how do you explain that? By the way, this is the whole problem of trying to interpret the uh, overcomer in Revelation. Some want to say it's all believers, and verses like this seem to say, be saying that. But I don't think so. Uh, in the first place, in the Greek text, this is stated with a double negative. Now, if you do that in English, it becomes a positive. In Greek, 
It means that's the most emphatic statement you can make. He is emphatically saying, no, you will not be hurt by the second death. All right, that doesn't really solve the problem. Uh, then what happens? Well, there are three ways to look at this verse. One is a warning. That is, if you don't overcome, you will experience the second death, which is the way people who believe you can lose your salvation take it. The other is a reminder. Does it just take it at face value? It's saying that if you overcome, then I want to remind you, you will not be hurt by the second death. It's a reminder. The third possibility, and the one I like, is that it's an understatement. Now, the Bible does this every once in a while. It's not a common literary technique, but it's there. And the idea is that you're going to state something negative in order to make a positive point. For example, if I said to you, we have a problem, and it is no small problem, what do I mean? Do I mean it's a small problem? I said it was a small problem. Do I mean it was a small problem? No, I do not. I mean it's no small problem. It's a big problem. In other words, I'm stating it negatively, but I'm trying to make a very positive point. Listen to this. Jesus said, whoever gives uh, ones of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Huh? If you give a cup of water, you're not going to lose your reward? Well, he's understating the case. Meaning what? Well, you're going to get a big reward. So the idea is, you're going to give a little cup of water, and you're going to get a big reward. They will be awarded abundantly for their faithfulness. Years ago, I was the guest speaker in a church, and a couple in the church invited me to their house. And at the end of the meal, I said to her, there is nothing wrong with your cooking. <laughs> what did I mean by that? Huh? As a matter of fact, her husband misunderstood me. And he said, what didn't you like? And I, no, 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 no. What I mean is she was an exceptional cook. But I stated, I understated it negatively to make a very positive point. So, this statement is saying the opposite of what it sounds like. The nature of the reward, which is not specifically stated, implies the opposite of death is life. It's an abundant life. The faithful are given a crown of life in verse 10. And then he makes this statement about death. And so putting those two things together, it is obvious that he is saying something negative. You're not going to be hurt. But the real point is something positive. You're going to be abundantly blessed with an abundant life in the kingdom. That takes us to the third church, Pergamos. Chapter 2, verse 17. To him that overcomes, I will give some 
of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, on a stone a new name which no one knows except him who receives it. Now again, what is it you have to overcome? Well, in this particular case, the people in this church were tolerating false teaching that involved eating things sacrificed to idols and committing adultery. So he is saying if you overcome that, then this is what you're going to get. Hidden manna. What does that mean? Well, if it's hidden, I guess it implies not everybody's going to get it. And if it's hidden, I guess it means it's special. Other than that, it means you're going to get some special food. You're going to receive a white stone. That little white stone probably is referring to a white stone of fellowship. If it had your name on it in the ancient world, gave you rights to the hospitality of their house, admission to the banquet. It was the overcomer's ticket to the house and table of the Lord. You're going to receive a new name. Now, in the Bible, receiving a new name is receiving a new status. The Bible is full of this. Uh, Ab uh, Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Uh, Simon became Peter. Saul became Paul. That's sort of the idea. So, to receive a new name that no one knows, not interesting. Uh, I guess that means this is a mark of intimacy. If you gave somebody a name like your wife, nobody else knew, what would that be saying? Well, that's just between me and her. You know, it's not for your tender ears to hear. We have this tender little relationship, this intimate little relationship, and it's none of your business. So perhaps this is speaking about having a very intimate relationship with the Lord. Donald Gray Barnhouse, a Bible teacher of years ago, said, I am called doctor by those who know me the least, pastor by some who know me more closely. My given name is used by my close friends my children call me father or daddy. A mother has called me son, while in the most intimate of all human relationships, there is a place for endearing names which refinement will not permit to be uttered in public. Not even in letters will those names be used. The actual presence of the loved one is demanded for the use of the name which even the children of the family do not know. This is the intimacy promised to the overcoming believer by the Lord. The bridegroom will speak to the bride. He will have a tender name for her that shall not be known even by the cherubim and seraphim. Isn't that great? I have a nickname. Only the Lord knows it, and I'm going to find it out. So, that's part of the reward. For the overcomer to receive a white stone engraven with some secret name is something like receiving a purple heart, engraved with a special name selected by the president 
because of what you did for the country. So I think that's sort of the idea. You're going to be honored. If you were faithful, you're going to receive a medal, like a purple heart. The next church is Thyatira. Chapter 2, verse 26 says, He who overcomes and keeps my word until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I've also received from my father, and will give him the morning star. All right, the church at Thyatira was overcome with a compromise of sin. And so he gets to the end of the letter. He says, now individuals in that church who overcome that, well, they're going to rule and reign with me. They're going to have authority over nations. Now, let me talk about that for just a second. Uh, when I was in seminary, I took a special course in just the book of Revelation. And one of the assignments of the professor was that we were to go through the book of Revelation and notice all the times it alludes to the Old Testament. That was quite a job. And what I discovered in that little homework assignment was that almost every verse in the book of Revelation is referring, not directly, sometimes indirectly, to some Old Testament passage. It's really fascinating. But it rarely quotes the Old Testament. Interesting. Until you get to this verse. This verse is a clear, clear allusion, almost a quotation, of Psalm 8, which says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions, that you may break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. And that is referring to the coming Messiah. Christ will rule over the nations. What this verse is promising is that what God promises to the Messiah, he will share, share with the overcomers. So, bottom line, if you're faithful, you're going to rule over nations. Now remember, last time we talked about some are going to rule over ten cities, some are going to rule over five cities, and some are going to be ditch diggers. You don't remember that. So if you're faithful, you're going to what? Rule. And some are going to rule over more nations than others. Then it says you're going to rule with a wire of iron, meaning you're going to have a lot of power. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's just administering justice. It probably means also administering mercy, that you're going to have control. And you're going to be given the morning star. Huh. What does that mean? Well... Jesus is the bright morning star in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, And apparently the overcomer is going to be a morning star and he's going to have royal splendor like the Lord. As a matter of fact, the book of Daniel in chapter 12, verse 3 says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. So clearly this is talking about glory and splendor and honor that you're going to have if you're faithful to the Lord. 
So, one of the Messianic passages in the Old Testament combines authority and glory, which is what seems to be happening here. For example, in Numbers 24, 17, it says, A star shall come out of Jacob. That's the Messiah. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's the Messiah. But notice it's a star, brilliant glory, and a scepter, authority and rule. So the scepter represents dominion and the star splendor. Those two promises, which the overcomer will be, it means an overcomer will be given dominion and glory, just like the Lord. How are we doing? Can you repeat all this back to me? Of course not. I'm not sure I can without looking at some of my notes. So what's the point? You got the point? Overcomers who are faithful Christians will be rewarded. I'm just, I'm taking that one little idea and I'm telling you what they overcame or come and I'm telling you what the reward is. So let me just ask you this. Can you give me all the things you overcome? You can't even do that. Neither can I. So let's keep going. All right, the next church is Sardis. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will blot out his name from the I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. All right, what was this church plagued with? Spiritual death. Doesn't mean they were not saved, it just means they were inactive spiritually. Ooh. Does that apply to some Christians? Have they been overcome instead of being an overcomer? You think? So he says, if you, do, if you overcome spiritual deadness and you're alive and vibrant and active spiritually, then, well, he says, I'm going to make you a temple in the uh, a pillar in the temple of God. And I'm sorry, I'm, I got ahead of myself. I'm back in chapter 3. Looked at the wrong verse. You're going to be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life, and I will confess you before my Father. All right, but aren't all Christians clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Yes. But in Revelation 19, verse 8, it says that the white garments are the righteousnesses, plural, of the saints. So as you are faithful to the Lord, you are weaving a garment. And if you're faithful to the Lord, you end up with a white garment. So this is the righteousnesses of the saints, not the righteousness of God imputed to us at salvation. You will not have your name blotted out of the book of life. This is another figure of speech an affirmation expressed in negative terms. This is no small problem means this is a great problem. Not to have your name blotted out means that you will be honored. It's not only not going to be taken out, but you are going to be honored. Your name will be gloriously forever or something similar to that. Furthermore, you're going to be confessed before God the Father and the angels. The Lord talked about this. But put these two things together. 
If your name were blotted out, that would be dishonor. But you're not going to have your name blotted out. Rather, you're going to be honored by the Lord confessing you before the Father and the angels. So Jesus is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So from far from having your name blotted out of the book of life, his name will be greatly honored before God. Many years ago, I mean several centuries ago, a man named Thomas Allen wrote a book in 1733, and the title of the book was The Christian's Sure Guide to Eternal Glory. I didn't read the book, so I don't know what's in it, but I love the title. This is your guide to eternal glory. All right, two more. Let's look at Philadelphia. Chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. Now, what was it the Church of Philadelphia had to overcome? Well, they were facing opposition. There's nothing negative said about this church, but they were facing opposition. So he gets to the end of the letter, and he says, you overcome the opposition, and here is what you get. I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. Oh, boy. In the New Jerusalem, there is no temple. The book of Revelation clearly says that in chapter 21, verse 22. So what does he mean, I'm going to make you a temple? Well, obviously, this again is figurative language. And he's going to make you a pillar, a pillar. Those who have little strength, which is what he says in chapter 3, verse 8 of the church at Philadelphia. They had little strength. He says, you overcome all that opposition, though you have little strength, and I'm going to make you a pillar, which is the picture of strength. So you're going to be strong. Then he says, you will go out no more. Well, what does that mean? Well, to appreciate this and understand it, you need to understand something about the city of Philadelphia. In 17 AD, an earthquake destroyed 11 cities in the region. In Philadelphia, the aftershocks continued for years. It was said to be a city full of earthquakes. One ancient author described the scene because of the fear created by the daily quaking and cracking in the walls of the houses and the falling masonry. Most of the population lived in huts outside the city and feared to go into city streets lest they should be killed. During those years, those who dared to live in the city were considered mad. They spent their time shoping up the shaking buildings and fleeing in open spaces for safety. Those days were never forgotten. People in Philadelphia waited for tremors, ready to flee the shaken city. But what the promise is, you who know the city, the city is shaking and you flee from it, when, I, when you get to the New Jerusalem, you're never going to go out again. So you are going to be safe in the city. 
You're not going to run because of the earthquake. You're going to be permanently in the presence of God. And then he says, you're going to receive all kinds of names. The name of my God. The name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem. So you're going to receive all kinds of names. uh, All of which is closely associated with the Lord. So again, he's talking about honor. And the close association with Christ is striking. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, you are going to be greatly honored. One more. Are you tired? You got, is this interesting? You ever heard anything like this in your life? The only time I've ever heard anything like this is when I taught the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. <laughs> but a lot of people have written about it. I'm not the only one to conclude this. One more church, Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also over, overcome and sit down, on my, uh, uh, sit down with my father on his throne. Now, what was the problem at Laodicea? Remember, this was the lukewarm church. They were neither hot nor cold. So he says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. It's like tea. Tea is either nice when it's hot or when it's iced. But who wants to drink lukewarm tea? Well, that's his picture. You're just lukewarm. Uh, You're not hot, enthusiastic. I wish you were. You're not even cold. I wish you were that because you'd recognize you got a problem. No, you're just, you're inoculated with enough of the disease to prevent you from getting it. So you're just a little lukewarm. But he says, if you overcome that lukewarmness, then I'm going to let you sit on my throne. Wow. He says, I overcame, and I'm going to sit on my father's throne. So if you overcome, you will sit on my throne with me. So those uh, in this church... If you, remember, this is a church that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. Remember that? Isn't this interesting? The people who were members of a church that shut the door to the Lord and shut him out are given the opportunity, if they open the door and have fellowship with him, which is what Revelation 3.20 is about, I'll open the door and I'll come in and sup with you, I'll have fellowship with you. If you're faithful like that, then you're going to sit on the throne with him. So the church that sank to the lowest level is called to ascend to the highest level. If they draw near and keep close here below, they will find themselves very near up there. The reward is kingship in the kingdom. All right. We looked at seven churches. We looked at the fact that in each case he promised if you were an overcomer, which is a faithful Christian, you will be rewarded. Got it? So, I have one simple message this morning. Faithful Christians will be rewarded. Now, having said that, what is it you have to overcome? Answer, a lack of love, a fear of death, 
overcoming, tolerating false teaching, compromising with sin, spiritual deadness, holding fast, and spiritual lukewarmness. Boy, that would be an interesting list. You guilty of any of those things? Any of those things characterize you? Have you lost? Uh, I keep saying lost. Have you left your first love? Are you compromising with sin? Are you spiritually dead? Hmm. Are you lukewarm? Now, that's what you've got to overcome. If you overcome that, then here are the rewards. Fifteen of them. You get to eat of the tree of life. You'll not be hurt by the second death. You eat hidden manna. You receive a white stone. You receive a new name that nobody else knows. You have authority over nations. You rule with a rod of iron. You're given a morning star. You're clothed in white raiment. You will not have your name blotted out of the book of life. You will be confessed before God and the angels. You will be a permanent pillar in the temple of God. You won't go in and out anymore. You'll receive various names, and you will sit with the Lord on his throne. All right, let me ask you this. Would you like to be rewarded? Would you? And we've talked about other kinds of rewards. This just expands the list. In order to do that, you have to be a... I think I put them to sleep. You have to be a... What's an overcomer? Got it? All right. Now, what is the point of all of this? Well, it seems to me that the Lord is telling the seven churches of Revelation about the overcomer being rewarded to motivate them to overcome so they can be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. So let me put it all like this. Do not be overcome, but be an overcomer. Don't be a victim, be a victor. That's the point. So if you look at this in the context of the book of Revelation, this church facing difficult days, facing persecution. One had been killed. Some had been jailed. We know that from the letters. If you're facing all of those difficult times, he says, hang in there. Overcome all of that, and you will be rewarded. So I think the point in the context of the book of Revelation is to urge you, don't forget the crown. While you're going through the suffering of the cross. Keep your eye focused on the reward. Don't look at the present, look at the future. Don't look at the temporal, look at the permanent, the eternal. Keep your eye focused on what is the end result. And that's the motivation for us to be faithful to the Lord. As I looked at all of this, I thought, This is sort of like telling a discouraged high school student who is contemplating dropping out of school that 
he ought to, he ought to remember you get a diploma. And if you get a diploma, you get a better job. And if you get a better job, you make more money. So don't drop out. Hang in there. Remember the diploma. So he, might have a, he who might have a lack of interest in school anymore, you should tell him, remember the diploma. He might be afraid of failing. You should remember the diploma. He was listening to people telling him that school is not necessary. There are people who've made money without graduating. He needs to remember the diploma. He might think that uh, he has enough money and he can make more by committing crimes like selling drugs. You need to remind him to remember the diploma. And when he's not holding on or is lukewarm about the possibilities of staying in school, tell him to remember the diploma. So when things are going real tough, there are tough times and difficult days, then remember the overcomer gets rewarded. So the loss of interest, the fear of death, the temptation to compromise to false teaching, compromise to sin, and just be self-sufficient need to be overcome so that you can be rewarded. Got it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the possibility of receiving a reward. In the meantime, Father, give us the grace to be overcomers and not overcome. In Jesus' name.